3CR would like to acknowledge that we broadcast on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Boon people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nations people in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We acknowledge sovereignty was never ceded and the treaty was never signed. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to Wednesday Breakfast. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning, Judith. Will, good morning, listeners. Good morning, everyone. So um, I suppose if you didn't know, it is the 31st of October, which I've been informed is... Halloween. It's Jamie Lee Curtis Day. Oh, yes. It's scary out there today. Yeah, it's one of... Well, it started. It started. It's one of those things where you drive past and all the houses are decorated. And in my suburb, you had an option where you could put a balloon out if you were participating. And if you didn't have a balloon, you weren't participating. But over the last sort of five years, I've always had young kids, regardless of whether I had a balloon or not, my kids are trying to sleep and you'd have people knocking at your door wanting lollies and you'd come out and you're really upset because you've just put a nine-month-old baby to sleep and you've got these kids yelling out lollies, lollies. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I noticed in my neighborhood on the weekend uh, all kinds of kids dressed up just wandering around. I think it must have been a party in the, you know, near the shopping area or something. They were they were pretty cute. You saw kids. I saw adults yesterday. Oh, did you? <laughs> wearing like the ghoul. In the middle of the day, sort of, and I was just like, in, I was quite surprised. Yeah. Um, they had makeup on, they had the whole Halloween kit, and it was a day early, so hopefully those guys are not still walking around. Actually, I love that Halloween is not an Australian thing, because then we get to do all the things, like, anew. As yeah. in, like, we don't, yeah. we don't have to worry about necessarily Tradition. all of the traditions yeah. of Halloween, but we can just start using it as an excuse to dress up. And, yeah, like, yeah, five days early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a Halloween party on the 26th. Yeah, um, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun. Well, yeah. I had photos from Canada of pumpkins, oh. many pumpkins, oh, all yeah. in a row with funny faces. Yeah. It's, it's weird that we have the pumpkins. We've it got is. the carving pumpkins, because they're not, yeah. are they in season? I don't I even. I don't know. I think they're made specifically, because I saw them the other day, and I punched one just to see whether they were sort of hollow <laughs> and very different. And, I was and he said, like, ow. Some, well, someone's growing these just yeah. for this particular day. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's good business if you can make it. Yeah. 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 Mm. Okay. And that's, that's breakfast for us. <laughs> we're done. See you next week. <laughs> yeah. And uh, tonight there's going to be zombies. Yeah, there's yeah. going to be a zombies going on. A zombies shuffle. Last yep. week we had... Um, an interview with people from Mathel and Lasnet, yep. and they're planning, uh, they've been demonstrating, they're demonstrating yesterday at the mining conference, international conference yep. that's here in Melbourne right now as we speak. They're at the convention center yesterday morning, and some of the video they posted on Facebook showed some of the mining people looking kind of surprised, actually, <laughs> in their, their suits. In their suits, walk, yeah. Say, oh, so someone is noticing we're, that. We're here on a junket. Yeah, and uh, speaking of junkets, tonight there's a ball, and uh, Marion from Massel last week told me what's, what was going to happen tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Leaders of, uh, you know, government, mining executives are all having a really big fancy gala ball, and that's going to be held at Crown Casino. So we're going to join them. 
just the word on the wind is that a whole lot of zombies are going to also be out in Melbourne at the same day, which is just happens to be a massive coincidence, seeing as it's Halloween, seeing as we're edging towards the climate apocalypse. You know, it's only fitting that really zombies just take over Crown Casino and serve back to them black coal canapes, tailings martinis. Some folks know about it, some don't. Some will learn to shout it, some won't. But sooner or later, baby, here's a ditty. Say you're gonna have to get right down to the real nitty gritty. Let's get right down to the real nitty gritty now. One, two, nitty gritty now, yeah, boom. To our alternative news segment now, uh, and that was Nitty Gritty by Shirley Elise, which is one of the bangers of the station. Anyway, uh, Judith, I believe you have the alternative news of the week. Well, I, well, it's just one piece of news, but it's a, a kind of very concerning piece of news, uh, among among other things we're going to be hear about this morning. But it's about the, the murdering of, of journalists, the killing of journalists, as a report that's come out. Uh, on the 2018 Global Impunity Index, which spotlights countries where journalists are slain and their killers go free. And they've looked at about 10 years of data, Mm. and they've listed um, a number of countries, I think 12, 13 countries, where it's it's not just been that journalists are killed, but that nothing happens to the people. That yeah. South America would be quite high in those. Well, it's interesting to think, you know, what would, what is, and you, you would like to know? Yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah, sure. I, I would have always thought South America would be quite high. It's in there. Yeah. It's in there, but the first one is Somalia. Number okay. one. Yeah. 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 And they, they also, um, in their chart, say whether things have improved, stayed the same, or gotten worse. And in some cases, some of the countries uh, have improved and then have slipped back. Yeah. Yeah, so, and I can't, you know, we just talked about the International Mining Conference and the zombie shuffle, and uh, some of the countries, you know, are people who are affected by mining and some of the journalists, often the ones we less hear about are kind of people, journalists reporting on issues around Mm. mining or Mm. other atrocities that, you know, confront the government that that they don't like. So, uh, Somalia was number one, Syria number two, Mm, which again probably is, and Iraq number three. So, you know, obviously places where wars, wars go on, mm. is, is what, what are the top. Um, number four, South Sudan, so near Somalia, but in that kind of area. Also war, wars are a place where wars are happening or insurgencies of various kinds. The Philippines. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think Gia Bolsonaro is probably trying to go down the same line as the, yeah. the, yeah, the, yeah. the Philippines president as well. Well, I've heard that he's worse. Yeah, mm. there was some fascinating, fascinating uh, analysis. Some, you know, his tagline has been uh, the Brazilian, uh, the Trump from Brazil. 
Right? And there was this wonderful university professor who's going, he's not like Trump, he's a lot worse, he's much more like, as you said, leader of the Philippines and um, and people in, you know, Turkey and like those sorts of despotic like rules is what he's going for. And it was, Mm. was like, like, wake up people, this is not Trump. (laughs) And it'll be great to hear from Guido next about yeah. about that what's yeah. happening in Brazil there yeah. yes Definitely. I'm looking forward to, to hearing what, what you know the, his take on that yeah Afghanistan is in there Pakistan Bangladesh Russia so you mentioned Latin American countries so we have number 7 was Mexico number 8 was Colombia number yep. 10 was Brazil yeah. so Colombia and Brazil are two countries that have been particularly affected by mining which right, is, yeah. Yeah, also uh, and does it uh, does it stipulate i mean this is where it's quite interesting it talks about journalists being killed mm. the the breadth of what the description of a journalist is over the last 10 years has also Very widened true. you know like with yes, with indeed. with freelancers who you know, do they fall into that category? So you and I, for example, we could yeah. be very much against brown coal and yeah. just start writing things, and then all of a sudden we disappear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and nobody hears us from the 3CR anymore. It's like, well, whatever to those guys. Yeah. So do we get included in that, or is it literally the people who are maybe part of the MEAA? Or? My sense is that it's professional journalists. I mean, yeah. the, other, yeah, yeah. the other group, of course, is citizen journalists, you know, That's people right. that are reporting stories, you know, in addition to people like us, it's 3CR. Mm. I guess we're citizen journalists in some ways. In but, some ways, yeah. But we are in a more formal can, you know, network here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so... So, you know, I, I would say it's professional journalists from my reading. And it does say that more than three quarters or 82% of these cases took place in 14 countries. Oh. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so there are 14 countries that are so concentrated. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as part of our citizen journalist, journalism, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are quite across this, but I thought it was um, uh, quite an opportune time to mention that um, – Gavin McInnes is coming to Australia, and, and a lot of people who, would, who listen to this would know. Uh, apparently, he's on a, on a comedy tour, so there's a petition out there um, to stop uh, Gavin McInnes, who, you know, he says he's a comedian, but he calls it satire, and he talks about it being free speech. Uh, and what he is, is an, he's an alt-right leader and founder of the far-right gang called the Proud Boys, um, yes, I've read about this. Mm, yeah. And uh, and I guess true to their own description, they have serially engaged in street violence since the beginning of 2016. And the Southern Poverty Law Centre uh, has also listed the Proud Boys as a hate group. So there is, I guess the thought of him coming to this country to, spe- to spread hate is extremely concerning for mm. most people. Yeah. Um, and there is a petition out there that you can sign to stop Kevin McInnes doing his tour. Yeah, and can I just say, I'm using the the the, the, the veneer of going, it's satirical mm. as a way of justifying you know, what is Anything quite extremist views. Yeah. It's like, that's that's not political commentary or a breakdown or a critical analysis. It's It, it really is such a sneaky way of trying to edge your way into a country and mm. spread your ideology through so-called comedy. Mm. You know, and he's actually got some uh, somebody else joining him as well who's coming. But, you know, it's, um, yeah, If it, I think a lot of people, if you don't know much about him, you can go to fclc.org.au and just find out um, about how extreme some of his views 
might be, um, and whether you think yourself it's comedy or satire, it's quite disconcerting mm. yeah. as well. Yeah. There's so much of this uh, happening now around the world. It's very mm. distressing. I, I just want to, on a more positive note, the Darwin Council has been having a music feast, and ah. they had their final night on a Sunday at the um, Northcote Social Club, mm-hmm. and it was Graham. It was free music, and there was music outdoors in Eastman Street, and, and there was music inside yeah. and so I went along to, to see what was <laughs> happening and I went along especially because I wanted to see Uitha which is amazing an amazing hip hop band made of made up of three strong indigenous women and they were strong I can tell you the rappers the rappers singer songwriters includes Lady Lash Miss Hood and Dizzy D and Uitha means our earth the heart acknowledges so that's that was lovely their song that they played their their final song was sister girl and it's just amazing we'd never do that freddie We're planning such a good time with you, Freddie. Come to the screening of Bohemian Rhapsody on Thursday, November the 8th from 6.30pm at Palace Westgarth Cinemas and have a real good time with Freddie Mercury and Queen. Tickets are 25 full, $20 concession online at 3cr.org.au or from the station, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. You can also call 94198377 during business hours. All funds raised go to keeping 3CR on air. rehabilitate someone they just put you in a cell and tell you this is how long you're going to do and it's meant to rehabilitate you you know rehabilitation starts when you get out that's when your life begins again doesn't it in here your life's on hold come along to the 2018 beyond the bars cd launch thursday 1st of november 6 30 p.m upstairs at mesa fitzroy stars gym on gertrude street there'll be guests panel discussion music food and drink and, of course, free copies of the 2018 Beyond the Bars double CD. The venue is accessible and all are welcome. Thursday the 1st of November, 6.30 till 8.30, upstairs at Mesa. See you there. Jail's just a waste of life. So, to all the young ones out there, if you're thinking of it just to be cool, you know, tough, it's the total opposite. You're an idiot, you know? You're back with 3CR Breakfast. Uh, this weekend, more than 115 million votes were cast in the final runoff round of Brazil's presidential elections. With over 55% of the vote between two candidates, Jair Bolsonaro 
of the far-right Social Liberal Party has been elected as President of Brazil. He was a former Rio de Janeiro state representative, and Bolsonaro was known for his opposition to secularism, LGBT rights, abortion rights, and left politics in general, and he's made statements praising Brazil's former military dictatorship. Today we have Guido from Latin American Solidarity Network to talk to us about the implications of this vote and to help us understand how we got here. Good morning, Guido. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for um, having me. So, first of all, it would be good to get some context. Um, a lot of Australians may not understand um, the Brazilian political structure and understand what this vote really means. What power does the position of the president hold in Brazil and what might Bolsonaro do with it? Um, are there checks and balances on the president's power? Uh, yeah, it's an executive power, so mm. he he has the the power to push through agendas, through executive orders, similar to President Trump's. However, those executive orders have limitations. Mm. They have to be voted within a certain time, and then you have a Congress and a Senate, and those have to approve those uh, directions. Um it's it's important to note that he will have to negotiate, even though he has a strong agenda uh, filled with. Um, it's more. It's not what he exactly what he promises is what he f- says he will fight against. Mm. So his entire campaign was run in a negative way. Was run in I will reduce rights for indigenous lands. He he actually promised many times that he would eradicate indigenous land. So Brazil has a massive um, um, indigenous population and uh, still and this, this, uh, this first peoples of Brazil, they have lands and rights that are governed by, by, by a separate governed body, um, a federal governed body and for years, especially since the uh, late 70s and 80s uh, there has been fights because those lands are, you know, technically you could say they are productive, they would say, you know. And so these farmers, they wanted to, to destroy those lands so they can use for, for cattle or for soya plantations or, or whatnot. And, and Bolsonaro has promised to dismantle to promise the to rights that the indigenous people he, have. He promised to arm every single farmer. And he promised to support, and if they 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 shoot these indigenous people, they will they will they he will call invasion of property. So this is the sort of speech that he's being. That's one example. Mm. Yeah, you he's know? got a long track record, yeah. record of other very um, disturbing, hateful things. Yeah. Um, he has praised the military dictatorship, as I said earlier, and he would like to see the military gain greater power. He uh, gain greater power. Is it too much to call him a fascist? No, no, no. He, he's he's a he's a classist fascist. And um, this morning I was reading this um, uh, Italian lady article, and one thing that was interesting that she said was the only way to to destroy fascism is take, letting them take in the power, because uh, as an idea, it's it's an invincible idea. Once once it catches it. it I I saw Brazil catching like fire, like people that I know for 30 years, for 40 years, I'm 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 42, and uh, people saying, looking at my face and saying to me, you know, like we have to kill people, you know, have to kill thieves and people who who 
who steals, they have to die. You know, and gay people are not really humans. They not they they are possessed by demons and they have to die. Things that sounds like um you know, coming straight from the fifteenth century. It's 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 hard to believe. Uh these people. So um, my Im- immediate circle in Melbourne, I have to actually renew my entire circle of friends, like to to the ground. I actually had to. Uh, I've been here for 16 years in Australia. I'm I'm happy to be to feel an, as an Australian Brazilian expat, and all my old Brazilian friends that I knew for years, I most of them I had to push them away, and I have to found a new group of of of. Um, I would say, I don't even like the word leftist because, because, um, because that's, that implies that they are just the right wing people or, mm. or supporters. It's, it's really about like it's fascist and then us. Like I have friends in Brazil, they are new liberals, you know, and you know, you take, um, yeah, standard new liberal politician in Australia, like they, they angels compared to what we kind of hearing, hmm. you know, there. So, um, my, my, anyway, so it, it's, even my friends, they are right and rational, like you can have a conversation and they, most of them voted against Bolsonaro, but it's really the, people just went with this, this belief. It just became enchantment. But, um, so, um, to give a background of what, what happened, especially in the last week. So, so the traditional, the traditional right was decimated on this election. They, they made less than 5% of the votes and that was really bad. Uh, Bolsonaro grew from 9% in the beginning to 15 to 55% which Ooh. took him mm. the election. So that's now, to be clear, this is in a runoff election where it was, um, the, the two winners of the that's early correct. first round election were sent to a runoff against that's each correct. other. So that would explain why 55 voted for Bolsonaro and there was the remaining 30, 45 who voted 45. for Fernando Haddad from the Workers' Party. Yeah. So, um, he, he promised his, his entire campaign was to eradicate corruption and and to change his his sentence, his main sentence was, "I will change what's there." Mm. But when asked what is there, what what are you going to change? He always stumbled, and also he avoided going to the debates. He actually did not go. There was no debate on the second round because um, he was known for not being able to articulate any mm. idea for mm. a long time. He can. Mm. His, his sentences are very short mm. and very simple. I'd be remiss not to mention also that he did get stabbed as well. Yes, and I was so about to the, say the that. Health. So, um, on an unfortunate turn of events, um, brought, uh, you know, you can't say someone brought on themselves to be stabbed, but I guess, uh, the, the inside of hate that was mm. happening, uh, this, this individual acted alone. Uh, saying that they were on a mission from God, and so they yeah. clearly weren't coming necessarily yeah. from a but political point of view. But completely alone, uh, but yeah. he used that to, to, to propel his, his story where it, it was a, a conspiracy theory mm. by the left-wing media and the left-wing, uh, if, if it rings any bells, yes, that's exactly, yeah. it rings, it reminds you of Donald Trump, that's exactly, in fact, Steve Bannon, 
uh, consult with his uh, campaign for many times this election, uh, giving ideas and, and directions on how to, to campaign. So it's expected that he use, he use fake news entirely, his entire campaign, and he realized something that he took the, the lefts or even the traditional politicians to realize. He was using WhatsApp. And WhatsApp in Brazil is like, it's possibly, the Brazil is the biggest users of WhatsApp in mm. the planet. Mm. Possibly. And um, it's it's sort of free if you have a phone. Yeah. And a lot of people, a lot of plan, a lot of people that, I mean, live on a really low budget. I'm, I'm talking about $10 a month. Mm. Uh, internet packages. Uh, these people, the, the, the company is only, f- the only internet that they have is the WhatsApp. Mm, they're not going to su- subscribe to a newspaper. They use WhatsApp for the news. And in WhatsApp, you can actually watch videos. You can actually, so this is all free. This is all part of the, pa- so his entire campaign for the past two, three years, mm. under the ground, it's been these videos of, you know, and, and it's, I mean, fake news, like grotesque fake news. I mean, using the, uh, there's, there's an accusation of the, 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 the opponent, the, the, the man that lost, his name is Haddad, mm. and one of the accusations on this fake news is that he raped a nine-year-old woman, and there was videos showing, you know, made-up videos with uh, mm. uh, porno sites, technologies to impose his face, or superimpose his face. So we're talking about really sophisticated, yet simple, and Machiavellic ways of using um, propaganda. Propaganda. Yeah. So, and I was trying to understand, to talk with a few friends. Like, if you actually believed that someone is in, about to rape your five-year-old uh, child, and you 100% believe, I understand the impulse to try to kill that person, hmm. right? I understand the impulse to defend yourself, even if it's through violence. Uh, possibly, I probably wouldn't do it, but I understand some a person feeling that way, and that's the sort of level of propaganda. If they believed that they were about to lose the entire family uh, through pedophiles and through, and that's sort of the campaign that he used. Um, he's he's an out, he, Jair Bolsonaro is an outsider, or he posed as an outsider. However, he's been for twenty-seven years in power. As a congressman, mm-hmm. as a representative of yeah. Rio de Janeiro, yeah, yeah. Although he was born in São Paulo and he has a São Paulo accent, he's a, he's a he's a representative of Rio de Janeiro. Um, Rio de Janeiro is a case apart, and I'm not even gonna go there because Rio is being married with violence and and incompetent governments, mm-hmm. and and that generates fear, and people feel that the only way to fix that mm-hmm. it's sort of um, with more violence. Yeah. So this fear of fear of violence seems also to have been coupled with uh, a very strong messaging of anti-corruption that Jair Bolsonaro poses po- yes. um, brought to yeah. to his campaign. Anti-establishment. Um, anti-establishment. And we, we, I'm thinking back to the the soft coup that happened in 2016, where oh. Dilma Rousseff was um, was indicted for for corruption. For corruption. Yeah. Mm. Um, and taken out of the presidency. Yeah, and, and Lula da Silva was put in prison yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so, to what extent um, are these claims of corruption true or untrue? And to what what extent is that impo- important when you're talking about 
sort of the slow and steady de- degradation uh-huh. of um, democracy in Brazil. B- both the traditional right and the traditional left um, were involved in corruption cases, you know, uh, once more, once less, and, and to which extent, but there were corruption, and that's how Brazilian politicians run for the past century. Um, however, there was a disenchantment with, uh, especially with the left, because they were in hold for 12, 13 years, and they they tried to fight corruption, but too late. By the time they started to really fight uh, the corruption, it was towards the end of the governor Dilma Rousseff, and um, and recession was already there, so it was uh, unsustainable for her to continue. Well, at least that's that's how that's how the soft coup happened. Um, so corruption is is there, and I, and and in fact, I, I'm 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 unsure how he will not cor- be corrupt mm. because that's how politicians work yeah. in Brazil. So the for the Congress to vote, they will ask for bribes and. Uh, Anyway, I, mm. I'm interested. Yeah. And, and so then that poses a question. Can Brazil's democracy, I guess, withstand uh, Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro or will the country's courts or the legislature um, restrain him from actually, you know, d- promising, delivering on all yeah. those promises? He, um, he's, I'm not going to say he's illiterate, but he's, he's the closest to, to a functional illiterate person, mm. which is someone that can read but hardly can interpret complex texts. And yeah. he, one of the guys, which is a judge called George Morrow, um, he, he's the judge that, that made everything to possible to put Lula in prison. And Bolsonaro invited him live on air. Uh, you can come to be a, a, a supreme judge or a minister. You know, but he doesn't even understand how the process, like to be a Supreme Judge, there is an entire process. Mm. You know, similar to the American process. So it's, it's not even, so he doesn't understand exactly. When asked what he's gonna do for the economy, he said, oh, I'm not an economist. I'll get an economy mm. person. So he's, he's completely lacked of, of understanding. Mm. So hope for the left is that his lack of understanding will impede progress on his sort of um, far-right authoritarian uh, agenda. Yeah, now it depends on which kind of, which sort of powers, you know, mm. um, hidden or, or open, which sort of powers will align with him. Um, I've received a letter this morning. It's hard to be sure what's fake and what's not, but for, for a fairly secure um, uh, source in Brazil of some banks um, sending letters to investors saying that yes, please invest. He has a new liberal agenda and everything will be fine. So, mm-hmm. and there's sort of a, a, a small euphoria within uh, investors in Brazil based mm-hmm. on what I saw. And yeah, he has a super ultra new liberal agenda like uh, mm-hmm. privatizations, you know, like schools. He thinks the schools should be like they don't need to exist per se, like, but people can learn from TV and from, f- they can have phone lessons. Mm. So sort of confusing, um, because his campaign was on 
I'm against this. I'm against, you know, and he's against uh, refugees, he, against homosexuals, uh, against he's women. Really against uh, homosexuals. He don't mm. don't believe them in their humanity. He doesn't believe that women have uh, should have equal pay. He thinks it's fair that it should be at least thirty percent less because they uh, they get pregnant, and I quote, "That's what I quote." That's what he said. So they get pregnant and then disrupt service and work. Mm. Um, he he calls. Uh, one asked if his son would have a relationship with a black woman. He said, um, "We I he well he was well he said his son was well raised." And wouldn't commit these acts of of um, um, sex, sexual deviation. So mm. he says, you know, a man, a black man, and a woman, or a white man and a black woman, is a sexual deviation that his, his children wouldn't. So okay. this this racist, homophobic, misogynic. Mm. Yet he got 55 million percent of the votes, mm. including, of course, women and gays and black. Mm. So mm. it's a uh, it's a confusing scenario. Yeah. Now, can I ask you just to round us out because we for do sure. have to wrap of up um, about the um, the snap protest that's organised for this weekend? There's um, something organised by Lasnet at the uh, the trades hall. Is that right? Can you yes, tell us about that's that? Correct. Yeah. So there's a there's a protest this uh, this weekend um, on the second. I'm pretty sure. I think so. Friday. Third. Or third oh, Friday. Third. Friday's the second. Third's the Sunday. Third. So the third, and um, to be honest, I just received the information last yeah. yesterday night, just before I went to sleep, yeah. so I haven't read the details. We'll put the links up on the website. Yeah, but um, I think um, we're organizing the, the Brazilian community, and we expect anyone that's interested in to know no more mm. to come and search for us. We will happily supply information. We also have a website. Um, Latin American Solidarity Latin Network, American Network. Network. Dot so org. The org. So, if, you, so yeah. if you're interested, you, you can go there to ask for mm. more, and just stay tuned. Mm. Uh, you know, pay attention. We 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 we're not sure. He takes uh, power on the first of January. Mm. We'll know from there. We'll know from then. Um, we'll Guido, good. we've been speaking to Guido from so the much. Latin American Solidarity Thank Network. You. Thank you for coming in. My pleasure. Thank you. Escrever pra garantir o pão de cada dia Pedir bênção pra quem já garantiu o pão Rezar pela cria que tá na barriga São simples os caminhos da palavra proteção String Shader, hashtag Elinão, uh, sorry, Elasim, uh, by Slam Das Minas, featuring Drik uh, Barbosa, which is a song celebrating um, the writer's uh, African heritage and their power as women and their creativity as a weapon against hatred. Um, uh, right now we're going to be speaking to Sue Bolton. Uh, the upfield train line sees perennial delays and cancellations with many services cancelling at Coburg Station and this is due to the fact that there's a single track north of Gary Station. That's just one track for trains coming and going, leaving it impossible to increase train services. 
Plans to duplicate the train line are set as far as 15 years in the future, and this Saturday, Moreland City Councillor and Socialist Alliance member Sue Bolton is inviting community members to come rally in support for more services on the Upfield line and for the duplication to be brought forward. Sue joins us on the phone now. Good morning, Sue. Hi, how's it going? Oh, good, thank you, Sue. Thank you. How's the leafleting going? You're out on the streets right now. Yeah, out in the streets. Uh, this morning we're at Melanson Station, and... The leafleting has been going fantastically, especially in Faulkner, which really acutely um, feels the impact of the cancellation of services or termination of services early at Coburg, leaving people totally stranded. Yeah, can you tell us more about that? I kind of gave a very brief explanation of what the problem was with the upfield line, but can you help us understand what's, what's really going on with public transport in that area? Yeah, so north of Gary Station, which Gary Station is beside Faulkner, just below the Western Ring Road, um, north of Gary Station uh, to Upfield Station, which is the end of the line, there's only a single track. Um, and so that means trains can't pass each other. So that even when the Metro Tunnel is finally built, unless the line is duplicated at the end of the line then there won't be any more trains. You can't really increase frequency very much when when there's a single track at the end of the line. And most uh, railway lines around Melbourne where there's a single track at the end, there's a plan to relatively soon duplicate the track, but there's no plan to do this to the upfield train line um, for 15 years. So that means that when the trains... And also this connects to the privatisation of public transport as well, where the companies get penalised if their trains and trams are running late. And so Metro Trains then deals with that issue by just running trains to Coburg to get back on time. Mm -hmm. And so that just leaves everyone in the North Stranded. So that can mean if one and occasionally sometimes two trains are cancelled, you can be waiting 40 minutes or 60 minutes for a train at peak hour in, in Faulkner um, and upfield further up the line as well. Is it so, any coincidence you know, that the people living north of Bell Street, sort of um, north of what's colloquially be called the Tofu Curtain, get poorer services on this train line and the people living further south where development um, has already been at a pace for a while and there's quite a bit more money um, get better services? Oh, I'm sure that's exactly the case. Um, so up in the north, especially in the Broadmeadows area, it's all safe labour, even in the Pasco Vale electorate, um, you know, which comes over to the upfield line, it's all safe labour. So Liberal Party don't care, Labor Party don't care, and even the Greens are putting forward a plan for in- increasing the number of trains just going to Coburg. Um, but I think we really need to look at fixing the whole line. And then the people in Campbellfield can't even get on a train in their own suburb. Mm-hmm. So the line, it's actually a really long distance or, you know, a fair distance between stations, between the second last station, Gowrie Station and Upfield. And as well as the duplication of the line, our campaign also wants to see a station built at Campbellfield at Camp Road. There was a station till the 50s when they started to pull out public transport infrastructure to force workers to buy cars. Um, and we want to see buses going from first train to last train 
and we want to see the line extended to uh, Craigieburn and then on to Wallen. Um, and that would all have an impact on people in the inner city of both a better train service but also less cars coming into the city because um, at the moment the line's so unreliable, especially for people in the north, that, um, that you know, that generates lots of extra traffic congestion in the south. And... We- yeah, sorry, you go. We're talking to Sue Bolton. Sue, I know um, a couple of months back in August, there was a new 8-kilometre Mernda rail extension which was completed with three new stations which opened for passengers and that Mernda station gave um, passengers access to 982 services to the city every week. And now I know the, the Upfield Transport Alliance is asking for these things. In 2014, Labor had promised they would boost train services in Victoria with a multi-million dollar pledge to fund new trains and carriages for metro trains. Why is it that this is not happening, especially with the population growth that's happening in areas past Broadmeadows all the way up to Craigieburn? Why is the other side getting so much love but not the north? Well, I think firstly with the Mernda situation... There wasn't any plan to extend the line from South Morang to Mernda for quite a number of mm. years. But then it happened really, really strong... quick. Yeah, well, I think there was a combination of two factors. There was a really strong community campaign mm. to have the line extended to Mernda because I think the first day they um, opened up the South Morang station when they extended the line to South Morang, the the station was packed out with cars by 6.30 in the morning. Yeah, people driving from Craigieburn to go and catch a train in Mernda because it's... No, that wouldn't have been Craigieburn. That would have been people from Mernda and Whittlesea. But um, so they had a really strong campaign and then it's also a marginal seat as well. That was their second advantage. And so, but, but I think even without it being a marginal seat, they needed that community campaign to get the line extended and, and the promise to do that um, and bring that project forward. Now, we don't have the advantage of being a marginal seat up the north, but um, I think we do need to make this a community issue. And that's why I, I figured um, after I found out through questions I asked on council that it was 15 years before there was any plan to um, duplicate the line at the end, I figured, well, the only way we can bring this forward is by United Community Campaign. So basically what I've um, built is an alliance of groups called the Upfield Transport Alliance. We've only been going for three or four weeks, um, bringing together groups in Broadmeadows, Faulkner, Coburg, uh, Coburg North and Brunswick, um, and I think if we've got the groups united up and down the line, we've got more of a chance of making this a community issue that the politicians can't ignore. And so in the north, we've got the issue of uh, train cancellations, lack of stations, you know, for Campbellfield people. And But in the south of the line, a lot of people that are totally unaware of those issues in the north, and they experience overcrowding, which will also become worse when all the 19-storey, 18-storey, 17-storey towers get built in Pentridge, um, the old Pentridge prison. So there's a plan for 17 high-rise towers. So that will mean any of the problems of overcrowding people in the south of the line experience now will be astronomical. Um, Mm. 
unless the train service is improved. So I think now's the time for us to um, really build a strong community campaign. And I think it's really critical that everyone along the line knows each other's problems and so we could have a united approach. For instance, I noticed um, the Greens candidate in uh, Brunswick is calling for extra trains to Coburg as a stopgap measure, but I think we need to be fighting for a solution for the whole of the line because people in the north are just totally left out, um, you know, and it's not just an inconvenience. Um, when your train's cancelled and you've got to wait another 20 minutes for the next train. You could be sacked from your job in these days of insecure work. You could be unemployed and be desperate for a job and miss your job interview. You can miss your exam. You can miss your specialist appointment you've waited six months for. Like, it's not just an inconvenience. Um, and, yeah, I, so I think we don't want a stopgap measure which becomes permanent. We want a solution for the whole line, and so we need to be united up and down the line. Now, Sue, we need to spend a bit of time talking about the rally because it sounds like there are a couple of different meeting points and meeting times for people to, um, to, to join in. Can you, can you give us the information about what, what's happening this Saturday? Yes, yeah, so we decided to have the rally on Saturday at Upfield train station, the end of the line, because the symbolism of people being able, able to visibly see the single track um, which a lot of people in the south have never seen. So the details of the rally is 11 a.m. at the Upfield train station, which is in Barry Road, Coolaroo. Um, but for people in the south who've never been to Upfield might think Upfield is a long way away, we're um, advertising that people should join the protest train to Upfield. And so people can meet at the Jewel Station at 10.20 a.m. to catch the 10.38 train. Coburg Station uh, meet at 10.30 a.m. to catch the 10.45 train. Faulkner Station meet at 10.35 a.m. to catch the 10.51 train. And we're going to make the first carriage on that train a protest train. Um, and then we'll have, you know... a you know, some speakers at the um, at the Upfield train station then will march to the Ford Gate shopping centre for um, some final speakers. Um, we've got a um, model train being brought by Friends of the Earth. So um, anyone who's got young children, there'll be a little bit of activity that they can jump in the model train and uh, wander around in the train. Um and we've also got support from, uh, as well as local groups in all of these areas, we've also got support from the Rail, Tram and Bus Union as well, which I think is really important to involve the workers who run the train system in the campaign. Um, and yeah, this will be, this is just a first, um, the first action. If people can't come to the action because they're going away for the, unofficial Melbourne Cup long weekend, um, people should definitely tell their friends and, and family and share it on Facebook. The title of the action on Facebook is More Trains on the Upfield Line. Just search for that and you'll find the action, so please share it as widely as you can because we want our first action to be a success. But if you can't come, don't panic. There'll be more actions. We'll have an organising meeting, an open organising meeting, um, two or three weeks after the action 
and then we'll plan our actions for next year, probably coming down the line, actions in Faulkner, Melanston, Coburg and Brunswick next year. So um, we're not going to win this just with one action. We've got to really make this an issue that politicians can't ignore. So we need to really construct a really strong, powerful alliance of community groups to say we will not accept being ignored any longer. Absolutely. People can search more trains, tra- more trains on the Upfield line on Facebook. We've been speaking to Moreland City Councillor and Socialist Alliance member Sue Bolton. Sue Bolton, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks for, thanks for um, publicising the issue on, on Wednesday Brecky Show. Thanks, Sue. Bye. Recian will be broadcasting live from the steps of the Victorian Parliament House in support of Defend and Extend Public Housing's 10-day vigil. Public housing, everybody's business. Join the Anarchist World this week at Parliament House, 10am to 11am, on two Wednesdays, the 14th and 21st of November. And yes, there is more. Also join Talk Back With Attitude at Parliament House, 10 to 11am, Thursday the 15th and the 22nd of November. Make public housing a significant issue for the forthcoming state election. Join us for these live broadcasts on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. That was Buddy Guy, the the Chicago blues legend with The Blues is Alive and Well. That was the title of a new album that he's got out this year, actually, with um, Mick Jagger on featured and Keith Richards featured on a couple of the tracks. So, And they certainly the Rolling Stones have a big connection with Chicago blues and having their name taken from a Muddy Waters song, as it turns out. But right now, from Adelaide, we have Associate Professor Peter Burden from the University of Adelaide Law School on the phone. So, Peter, welcome to 3CR Breakfast. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, thanks for getting up a bit earlier there in uh, in Adelaide. It's around 7.30, I think. Oh, no problem. My kids were up already. So. <laughs> I thought that might have been the case somehow. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, Peter, you're joining us to talk about uh, the silencing of activism in Australian law based on, on a paper that you and Mary Heath co-authored and was published last year. And uh, But just before we, we go there, I also noticed that you're the Deputy Director of the Global Network for the Study of Human Rights and the Environment for Australasia. Is that still the case? Yes, exactly. Yeah, so the global network, which was started in the UK, um, I guess it's looking at the intersection between a human right for a healthy environment, um, which is particularly useful in, I guess, the majority world countries where that's had a lot of impact. Yes, and uh, and that gives you a view of the whole Austral Asia area too, and what's going on there. And uh, you're also currently working on a project about the surveillance of environmental activists. Yeah, I think that's a really um, frightening and um, really interesting thing. There was 
A couple of years ago, there was an official history of ASIO that was released in three volumes. Oh, I didn't of, know that. Kind of, mm. oh, it's, it's really interesting reading, and it kind of charts um, the history of ASIO spying on everything from, um, you know, school children who refused to participate in um, you know, standing for the national anthem to Aboriginal activism to... Um, feminist movements to environmental activism. We're all dangerous. We're all dangerous by the sound of it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, they, they thought that everything was linked back to the Soviet Union. So every single part of the women's movement had its origins somewhere in some Soviet meeting. Um, and the level of paranoia and um, just incorrect information that they were operating on for a lot of that history is just staggering. And it kind of continues to this day. I mean, the surveillance and infiltration of environmental activists is a story that we know a lot about in the UK and the United States. And it's something that we're learning more and more about in Australia as well. Yes. And uh, I noticed in the article that you published, there is a statement that uh, Australia, the right to protest in Australia is facing a level of statutory suppression not previously seen in peacetime. Now, that, that's a strong statement. Why do you say that? Well, there's a few things to say there, I think. I, mean, I think environmental, the environmental movement in Australia has never been more professionalised with paid staff and people willing to talk to politicians and make statements and play by the rules, especially if you compare it to the movement in the 70s and 80s, which I would characterise as being more aggressive um so there's that but across the board in australia we see the environmental movement coming under all kinds of attacks so you have legislation which introduces bans on protest you have um, legislation that attempts to ban environmental um, boycotts so trying to encourage members to not shop in certain places you have gag clauses written into the contracts of community legal centers um, we have attempts to stop environmental groups from engaging in advocacy by threatening um, their funding models. We have the kind of surveillance that we were just talking about a moment ago, where the federal police or ASIO or private companies increasingly are engaged in surveilling and infiltrating environmental groups. Yes, so, so all of this is, is things <laughs> yeah, we associate a lot with the Cold War, for example, and what you spoke about earlier, but uh, it's happening now with more sophisticated technical tools, I guess, in relation to surveillance at least. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I mean we talk a lot about being directly infiltrated, um, and there is, I mean, there's a lot of really brave reporting, but in particular the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age and other um, Fairfax papers in particular have been doing about this. Um, but, of course, a lot of it's online as well. Um, yes. A, yeah. And you make the point that Australia has no human rights legislation. I'm hearing this more and more from different people um, to protect the right of protest, while our rights to protest are continually being eroded and corporations are being granted rights and powers over public space and the natural world. Absolutely. I mean, this is, this is one, of the, one of the things we're seeing. I mean, corporations... The idea that a corporation has the right to access, use and exploit parts of the natural world has never been stronger. And at the same time, I mean, Australia, as you said, we don't have a Bill of Rights. We don't have ways of protecting um, protest. The only way we can conceive of it in Australia is by an implied freedom in the Constitution. So not something that's 
explicitly written in the Constitution. It's an implied freedom we make because we live in a system of representative government. So there's no real protections, no real protections over that. No, we're not. I mean, that implied right does exist and it's been recognised, um, but it's not explicit. You have to you have to be able to make the argument that because we live in a society where we have representative government, you have to be able to talk about that government in that society and protest and that kind of speech is a part of the way we have um, a democracy in Australia. So that's how you get there. There's yes. And you've talked about in your paper the Tasmanian legislation, and the, the title is even interesting: "Workplaces <laughs> Protection from Protesters Act 2014." Not hidden. <laughs> yes, well, it's as subtle as a sledgehammer. Yeah, yes. So why was this act a particular concern? Well, I mean, it was in terms of just a blatant, sweeping attempt to ban kinds of protests. Um, it was exceptional. Um, in the legislation, it says it defined protest as, and I'll just quote from the Act, it says, any activity promoting awareness of or support for an opinion or belief in respect of a political, environmental, social, cultural or economic issue. That's, I mean, that's pretty broad. It's pretty sweeping. Um, and, you know, people in Australia looked at it and they were concerned. Um, the UN Special Rapporteurs on Human Rights looked at it, and they were aghast. Um, when they visited Australia, they said, we thought this was a pretty tolerant, open, democratic society, and this legislation is so wildly inconsistent that we're calling upon the Tasmanian government to scrap it. Um, so, you know, we know when you have UN Special Rapporteurs coming to a first-world democratic country like Australia, and they're concerned about the legislation we're introducing. Yeah, I mean, I read that report, and it went like, we were astonished to find. <laughs> we were astonished. I mean, it, it, you know, and each statement almost went like, you know, one statement to another. Yeah, it was, you know, utterly surprised. And I think it's a discrepancy between what Australia does, you know, at the UN and, and out in public international arena and what really Absolutely. happens here. Absolutely. I mean, it's coming at the same time as Australia getting onto the Human Rights Council in the United I Nations. I know, the yeah. irony. <laughs> yeah, I don't think politicians do irony particularly well. Um, and Peter, this is Idun here, but I was wondering, uh, how do we protest against the attack of pro on protests? Well, I mean, one of the things which... I mean, this, this legislation in Tasmania is one example, and there is another really sweeping example that was trying to be introduced in Western Australia, which is now currently on hold. And there is a similar legislation in New South Wales, um, which um, provides police with sweeping powers to break up protests. But the way the legislation in Tasmania was ultimately challenged... Was yes, Bob very, Brown. Yeah, and very strategic. I mean, it, was, it wasn't as though um, Bob and Jessica Hoyt, who, who's a nurse in Tasmania... So, so they, they were arrested for protesting in the Laponia National Forest and they used that directly and strategically as a way to challenge this law in the High Court. So, I mean, that's, we could talk about that, but that's one way you can fight back against... And, and they won that case. They did win that case. Um, so they, they get arrested and Bob Brown immediately says we're challenging it in the High Court. And in response... The um, Tasmanian police say, oh, well, we're actually, we're going to drop those charges in a pretty obvious attempt to get him to not challenge it in the High Court. 
Um, but Bob Brown persists, and Jessica Hoyt as well. He, I think, sometimes gets forgotten in this story. But yes, she, thank you, thank you really, for mentioning her name too. No, no, yeah. She, mm. yeah, she's really instrumental in it, and incredibly brave as well. And so they go to the High Court and challenge it on the constitutional basis that it it infringes this implied freedom of political communication. And as you said, um, they won, and so um, the Tasmanian government has been forced to withdraw that legislation. I mean, otherwise, the only the only way we can fight it back against it is through advocacy and speaking out about it. And I think this this High Court challenge in Tasmania has certainly stopped Western Australia or given them pause before introducing their legislation. And it made the New South Wales government very nervous as well. I mean, they in fact joined the Tasmanian government in that High Court challenge um, to fight against Bob Brown and Jessica Hoyt because they were nervous about what a decision in the High Court would mean for their own legislation. Yes. Peter, we are going. We are rapidly running out of time, unfortunately, but this has been so interesting, and actually that what's going to be my question, what impact has it had, the, the win of Jessica Hoyt and Bob Brown in challenging that law? So um, it does seem that, um, you know, it's been important in many ways, and as you've said, the advocacy, really, we really need to be focusing on advocacy, and I think paying attention to what's hmm. going on. Hmm. Thank Absolutely. Thank, thank you, Peter. I, I will um, you know, look forward to having you on uh, 3CR Breakfast. In the future, <laughs> yes. Terrific. Thanks so much. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. And that was People Have the Power by uh, Patty Smith, our good old Patty Smith. And people really do have the power in our next story, which is looking at um, the launch of the first ever people-powered interactive map focused on collecting data and experience of gender equality in Victoria. And we have Dr. Nicole um, Calms to talk to us today. Good morning. Hi there. Good morning. So um, I was wondering, could you give us a little idea of, well... This gender equality map, I suppose. What is it? Yes, what is it? So um, it's a new gender equality map that launched this week, which is really thinking about how we can make it easier for Victorians to share their experiences of gender equality or inequality. So it's a free online map that is being piloted in the cities of Darabin and Melton at the moment with the idea that it may roll out across the whole of Victoria. And it's a web-based app. So essentially you can use your smartphone but also a computer or any device to um, interact with this map online and the idea is is that people in those communities will drop a pin on locations where they've experienced gender inequality or indeed had positive experiences of gender equality Uh, and they do this anonymously and it really starts to give us a picture about what's happening around gender inequality in those places and spaces. Nicole, just quickly... Why such polar locations, the Durban Council and the Melton mm. Council? In my mind, I'm thinking they're very, very different as mm. a as a um, pilot. Sure, and that's actually um, really beneficial for us as researchers. So I'm the director of the XYX lab at Monash University, and we've partnered with CrowdSpot, which are the people that um, are able to kind of develop the um, map itself and the interface. And 
those two councils, I think, are um, fabulous because they are very different demographics. But essentially, the reason they were, they were chosen is because they put their hand up to champion the project. So you can imagine that with projects like these, it really requires people on the ground in those communities to really help us to activate the map and activate it within the community. So the fact that they really wanted to champion it and to then follow through on perhaps what comes out of the research and the map is a really important thing. So essentially, that's that's why. That's very that's very exciting, Nicole. And I'm yeah. just curious about how you got involved in it. Mm. Well, um, the research lab that I direct at Monash University is uh, I'm, my disciplinary background is an architect and urban researcher and. Our whole remit is to look at the ways that um, gender and cities, that nexus, so what's happening around gender and cities, and we've spent a lot of time doing research um, around public spaces and, and often around women's experiences of cities. So what's really exciting about this project is that it's open to all genders, um, and so people that identify as um, male or female, but also people that are gender diverse and LGBTIQ communities and we want to hear from everybody. So this is um, really quite different in terms of the work that we've previously done um, and I think it will start to give us a, a really wonderful picture about everyday experiences of gender equality and inequality um, and tell us things that we may not predict or haven't seen before. And Nicole, yeah, um, talking about this map, it's all using uh, individual stories and experiences of, as you said, everybody and anybody. Um, What do you think speaks strongly from individual stories rather than, you know, perhaps statistics or the usual data we get? Mm. Well, I think what's really interesting about crowd mapping, which is essentially the methodology that we're using, where these individual pins um, are, are placed on a map very specifically. So... Um, I think that what I really am interested in what you're saying is the idea of individual stories um, and the importance of those. But what we do is we actually then start to see the tendencies and hotspots of those individual stories. Mm. We read every single story and we code those stories so we can start to see what might be particular themes or thematics or, or, or as I say, hotspots. So um, even though the individual stories are very important, what we're looking at is the ways that those data sets then come together to tell us a bigger picture about what might be happening in those communities. So I think that it's the, it's the way that that personal story becomes this generated data that can provide a picture of the lived experiences of those of the people in that community. So I suppose um, I was my, my next question is, I wonder, do you know what sort of trends you're looking for, if that's uh. what's translating? Yeah, so we, because of the way that we build the project and, and the kind of the interactions we have with all the different stakeholders, we have a sense of what might come out of it. Um, and indeed, just kind of looking at the maps developing over the last couple of days, some of these things are happening. So we see, we're seeing comments around things like sexist advertising, mm-hmm. around access to um, public facilities and toilets and the ways that they generally in, in communities are, you know, male or female and not particularly gender diverse at all. Yeah. Um, we're seeing experiences around um, access, which is incredibly important, so people not being able to get to places because of um, limited access. But I think we'll also start to see it's very early days. We'll start to see things that we haven't predicted at all, and that's what's really great. We, we, you know, we can't predict these things, and we need people to help us understand what's happening. And it really is an innovative sort of idea using um, new technology, you know, the internet kind of thing, to then map out kind of uh, uh, environment. Uh, do you think that you're going to see a large demographic of uh, people using this? You know, uh, because I know there's you're very tech savvy people, and then there's people who have never really turned on their laptop. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, and I do think that that's often a question that I do get asked around these um, projects. Mm. I think that, um, you know, I've written kind of academic things in this arena, obviously, because that's mm-hmm. my job, that's what I do. Um, <laughs> and what we what we understand is that really that the ubiquity of smartphone technology is, you know, it's, it's very prevalent. And so there are, there are um, while there are some risks that people won't be able to access the technology and contribute, what we're doing with this project is we're really thinking about the ways that the people on the ground in those communities can help people that may not... Um, be able to kind of um, completely understand the, the technology or indeed have access to it to be able to contribute. So that's why these communities are very important. Darabin and Melton will be charged with kind of helping um, people in the community to contribute where they may not have been able to before. Right. Um, but it's not a perfect tool, you know. Um, we, we also acknowledge that. So we, we do our best to mitigate any of those risks and we'll be reaching out to people. Um, I mean, one of the areas that I'm really interested in accessing is um, older populations and they're exactly the kind of people that may not necessarily have um, access to, to the, the web app. So we'll be, we'll be reaching out to those people to really try and hear their voices um, within the, the map itself. Yeah, well, that sounds absolutely amazing. I, I suppose, is there any other fears of perhaps, uh, you know, misused data or anything like that with this? Look, again, that's um, a question that often gets raised. Mm. Um, we moderate the the data every day, so that's part of the role of the, you know, kind of um, upkeeping the project. Um, so that means that any, it's very easy to identify trolls within these ah, kinds of brilliant. forums. Um, and so we look for that every day and that gets moderated out and you can, you can kind of tell when that's happening. Mm. So that's very, a really important part of what we do. But I think that by and large we do really think that people optimistically um, and genuinely engage with this work. And so we assume the best. And, and that's the experiences that we've had to date with, with crowd mapping as well. So. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Yeah. And I guess the, the idea too behind um, th- that gender e- equity is all about fairness of treatment for everybody according to their respective needs. So that data, you know, can then lead to, to councils like Darabin or Moreland making sure, like, gender-neutral bathrooms are available, for example. Mm-hmm. So it's um, just to clarify, Darabin and Melton. Yeah. And um, the idea is, is that once we... Um, that the, the map is open until February and then after that time we code all the data and we look for these tendencies that we're talking about this morning and the information will then help these councils to better understand both where inequity and inequality is occurring but to identify opportunities where they mm. can improve particular public spaces, services and facilities. So it's as though the community helps to tell the story of what they want and then that helps the councils to prioritise what it is that they can do within those communities. So that's, I think, really important to... Yes, and you know, I had a look at your paper and uh, the video that that was part of that paper in the conversation, and oh, yeah. just just seeing the woman there, you know, here I am in the park, I've got my kids, and I'm, look, I'm just yeah. I remember it clearly, but there there isn't it was it wasn't a, a women's change area, it was a yeah, sporting. My daughter plays football. Mm-hmm. I think it was football in that park, and there's nowhere for the girls to. Um, kind of change and of course that's a historic issue that's left over from the fact that those sports fields were built at a particular time uh, and they've only got male change rooms but we need to notice that and then we need to prioritise the fact if that's what's important to that community that that needs to change and that it's not good enough anymore and, and I think that it's a really great example of where people can log on and, and, and um, really tell the story of what's affecting their everyday lived experiences in these communities. 
And I guess, Nicole, that's, it's so fantastic. It's such an inclusive project that really engages the community as a whole and builds that sort of community network. Um, where can we go to find out more and kind of engage with this project? Yep, so you can go to www.genderequalitymap.vic.gov.au and um, as I say, it's completely anonymous, it's free, it's very simple and straightforward. You get to um, drop a pin in, a, in your particular location where you'd like to kind of either tell a story about what, what happened for you there or talk about a particular place um, where you've had a particular experience. Um, and you know you can stay in touch with us and see what happens, or you can just do that and, and be anonymous and, and um, tell us your story. Absolutely fantastic. Look, I think it's a really brilliant initiative, and thank you so much for coming on today and telling us a bit about it. Great. I'm, I'm delighted to have been able to. Thank you. No problem. And that song that we were listening to earlier was My Body Was Made by Ezra Furman. Uh, just before that, we were speaking to Dr. Nicole Carms, f- speaking about the gender equality map. Very excited to hear about the results of that. We also heard from Professor Peter Burden on silencing of activism in Australian law. And before that, we were speaking to Sue Bolton, who's a socialist counsellor and organiser of More Trains on the Upfield Line rally happening this weekend. We'll tell you more about that later. Um, on our um, rundown, which you can access at 3cr.org.au slash Wednesday hyphen breakfast. Before that, we were speaking to Guido from Lasnet about the recent um, election of a fascist um, president in mm-hmm. Brazil. And that was and a very moving interview, mm. and I think it's such new information. I mean, it, it's just people are still overwhelmed about, you know, what's going to happen. Yeah. Absolutely. So we'll yeah. be watching that with a lot of interest. Um, do turn up to their, if you are interested, they're going to be holding a, uh, a rally in support of Brazil at the Trades Hall. That's going to be happening this Saturday um, and we'll have further details, but I believe if you turn up at 11 o'clock, there'll be people there at the Trades Hall um, for that rally as well. Um, and the zombie shuffle at the casino Oh, tell tonight. us about that. Tell us about that. <laughs> well, it's all happening nice <laughs> <quick. Yes. laughs> in relation to the mining conference that's on right now. Mm. And mm. so uh, because they're having their big ball, the zombies are going to appear as well. So um, dress like a zombie, turn up. Dress like yeah. a zombie. And with that, happy Halloween. Uh, happy Wednesday. <laughs> Stick together's up next. Stick together. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.